Welcome to Bandofla. This is episode 64. Um, apologies, listeners, viewers, whether you're listening on Spotify or watching on YouTube. There has been a, a slight delay since our uh, last episode, but I'm delighted to say we're back. Um, and I've got a really special guest. Um, viewers and listeners will uh, be um, no stranger to our guest today, uh, Emi Kayseri Olu. Um, all the way from Cyprus. Emmy was on a show recently where we were discussing the recent presidential elections in Turkey. Um, Emmy, welcome to the show. So grateful that you've agreed to come onto the show to share with us your your experiences. Uh, and I guess the first place we want to start with is when, you know, when did this journey first start? Um, you know, what was your initial reaction to the news? Uh, when it was confirmed that you had cancer that first time. Okay. Um, first of all, thank you very much for having me on the show. And uh, I'll try and be as as precise and as concise as I, as I can. Um, it was 2019. It was the end of, um, end of September uh, 2019. And I'd had an awful year. Uh, I'd lost my mother in January um to cancer um it had been a long uh, and arduous process uh she'd first had um, ovarian cancer um she'd been operated i spent time with her in england and then she came back and then um she was going for her checkups and then during her last checkup she was um, particularly uncomfortable and I was with her. We were at the guy's uh, hospital in London. Mm -hmm. And she was complaining about um, a kind of bulge uh, on her right side. And uh, they said, oh, it's probably a hernia. They did blood tests and they said everything was clear. And that was in uh, November 2018. And uh, at Christmas, uh, during Christmas dinner at home uh, in Cyprus that year, mum became very ill uh, very quickly. And we had to rush her to hospital where we found out that she actually had a tumor in her intestine. So um, it was a really bad experience. And the, the the cancer word and the whole cancer thing had really worn me out as a daughter. Uh, I basically cared for her for a long time. Um, and the uh, the resources in, in northern Cyprus uh, aren't, aren't all that. So it was a really... Uh, very strenuous time for me emotionally, physically. Mm -hmm. And uh, like most people, I mean, I was learning uh, what cancer means in a very pornographic way. Like I was seeing the ugliest side. You, you, I was watching mom suffer, yeah. was doing everything I could to help her. So when she passed, um, it, it was a uh, it was a very difficult time. And I remember I said to my husband, you know, I, I feel so exhausted. I'd lost a lot of weight. And I said, you know, God forbid, if anything should happen to me, I can't cope. I don't know what made me say that, but I, I, I said that. Mm. And, you know, as 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 is, you get on with life. So um, she died in January, and then you know, February, March, April, May. I was trying to get my myself together, mm -hmm. um, get back to normal, spend time with my with my young uh, teenage daughter, um, trying to to make up for the time that I'd lost uh, whilst caring for mum. I mean, I I really was knackered, and. Um, one day I had a very a huge stabbing pain in my right breast 
And I thought, well, that's a bit weird. And, uh, you know, then it went. And then about a month later, the same thing happened. And I, I got a bit, um, I got a bit nervous. So uh, my husband was away on business. So when he, he got back, I booked a flight to go and see my, um, my doctor who was mm -hmm. responsible for doing my checkups. Yeah. Of course, I, I, you know, did the touch thing. I felt mm. it was nothing. I couldn't feel anything. So I, you know, waltzed into my, um, my doctor's office and I said, you know, I have a pain. And she said, okay, let's do it. And I was late by five months for my, for my mammogram. Oh, uh, wow. Five months because, you know, I'd been occupied with mom and, mm. and, and whatnot. So uh, during the, uh, the mammogram, um, you know, she, then she wanted to do a, um, uh, a scan. And during the scan, she found two nodules, two, two masses. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it's, it's her area of expertise. So that was my, my godsend, my luck. Mm. So she, um, immediately, uh, aligned with the doctor. Mm -hmm. He came, they did a biopsy test and this all happened on the same day. Wow. And then the biopsy was sent to uh, to the lab, and she insisted that the the results come back quickly, and they came. And uh, my friend suddenly changed. She became very very professional and very matter of fact, and she said, "Okay, we we have two tumors. Mm -hmm. uh, one is um, a hormonal one, mm -hmm. and one is what we call a triple negative, which is the." the more um, sinister type of, of, of breast cancer. It's it's right. one that can cling on and come at any time. Right. So I, I listened. And because I was uh, away in Istanbul on my own, I didn't really have time to, to think or to panic. And I'm in the hands of my best friend, who is who is a um, an expert on these. Mm. So on the Wednesday, she arranged. I went to the Koch um, hospital. I had a PET scan, and that there confirmed the... The, the masses uh, mm. that the tumor the tumors were the tumors were grade three they were very aggressive they were growing very quickly and uh, they discussed you know how I what the pain was and apparently uh, one of them was so close to a milk duct it was actually pressing against that which is why I had the spasms the pain uh -huh. but that that also was a godsend. Mm. And uh, she immediately arranged for um, a surgeon. And then on the Thursday, uh, I had an appointment with the most aggressive oncologist in Istanbul. So I went and he looked and he said, OK, um, we can't operate. We need to, first of all, stop these from growing. We mm -hmm. need to shrink them. Mm -hmm. We need to slow them down. And then we need to operate. We need to remove them. And I had a couple more tests um to see uh what the um what the percentage of um a recurrence would be and that came out quite high yeah um and my grandmother my father's mother had had breast cancer when she was in her 40s really? so it was likely that one of the tumors was something hereditary mm. i'm not sure which one mom never had breast cancer so um it was a whirlwind and uh, the uh, the gentleman wrote a protocol for me. And he said, this is the treatment that you need. It's a very aggressive treatment, uh, but you need to start on Monday. So this was uh, on the Monday. I, I flew into Istanbul and this was the conversation on the Thursday. And he was saying, I have to start um, chemo on, on, on the Monday. Wow. I mean, when you think about it, you know, within seven days, it's mm. it, it's unheard of. 
And uh, meanwhile, I'm trying to relay the news to my husband in back in Cyprus. And he's like, oh, I need to find out where we're going to do the treatment. Mm. And the treatment was um, 15 weeks of um, of chemotherapy weekly. Wow. And uh, my doctor friend said, well, she, she can't stay and she can't be away from her family for that long. She mm. needs to be with her family. So it, it was, uh, you know, obvious that I would be coming back to Cyprus. Yeah. Um, so in the meantime, my husband's trying to find, um, you know, where I'm going to have my chemo. So he's approaching the oncologists in, in North Cyprus. And that was one of the first things that we we discovered. Um, you, you can have oncologists with egos. And uh, they the oncologist, a young gentleman, didn't approve of the of the protocol that we were given. Mm. And uh, my husband was a bit shocked. He said, yes, but we 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 need to start this on the Monday. Mm. He said, oh, you know, you come in on the Monday and we'll, we'll have a talk. And my husband, being quite diligent, was like, no, uh, I'm not going to risk coming in on Monday. You might not have the, the drugs that have been prescribed. Mm. I need to know that we can move forward with this. Sure. And then he was unreachable. So um, my husband did what he had to do. He contacted another a doctor in, in the Republic um, who actually, you know, uh, got back to him within two hours with an email saying, yes, we fully ap approve of the protocol. If she had come to us, mm. we would have um, executed the same protocol. Right. Uh, yes, we can start with Miss uh, Emina on uh, Monday morning at 9.30, if you wish, as long as you, you say you're ready to come. Yeah. And they gave us a list of the of the cost. And, you know, I flew back on Saturday and on Monday morning, my treatment started. Um, so it happened so quickly, I didn't actually get uh, a chance to feel sorry for myself, to be scared. Mm -hmm. It was, well, this has happened. Excuse my French, the shit has hit the fan. And I need to get on with it. Um, and that's what I did. Uh, it was difficult. It was challenging. At times it was really painful. Mm. Uh, but I, I just got on with it. Um, I, I, I just didn't want to feel sorry for myself. I didn't want to, uh, I didn't want to um, even think about being defeated. Uh, and I, I, I basically um, talked to myself every evening that this was something that I was going to overcome, mm -hmm. that it would pass. Um, and my husband was a great support. My daughter was a great support. And it was then that I I started to understand the fundamentals of this disease. Uh, a third of it is how you perceive um, the C word. The second third is the type of treatment that you're being given. Mm -hmm. And the last third is the the team or the people who are responsible for treating you and these three things are such vital components in you being able to defeat and overcome the tragicness of mm. this really awful disease um, and in those days i kind of started thinking about this and that it was that that helped me um later on uh remain resilient when it came mm. back again and again yeah. So in short, um, time, not wasting any time, uh, finding a doctor that you can really um, trust and communicate with uh, and moving quickly, uh, being diligent, moving really quickly. Um, it breaks my heart when I hear about patients having to wait. Uh, this is something that for me is, um, it's unfair. 
fathomable. I mean, uh, mm. knowing you have this this awful disease, uh, not being able to be treated as quickly as you should be, you're just adding uh, more risks to something that is already a, a huge risk. Yeah. I think here in the UK, where we are, even though the NHS, many aspects of the NHS are struggling because of year on year um, lack of funding by this awful government here. Um, but I have to say the the way cancer care is administered in the UK, and I can personally vouch for that, given what I've seen mm -hmm. my father, who's had two episodes of cancer, Um the support has been amazing uh, you know so but you're spot on I mean I, I think you're incredibly pragmatic um you, you know in terms of you know how how your thought process and how you've how you've gone got over that initial shock if you like um when you were first told um you know it's it's almost as if you went into autopilot um yeah. to, to yeah. deal with with that okay i mean in terms of your experience with cancer how does how has that shaped your perspective now on life in terms of your priorities uh, and the way you approach challenges and setbacks um it's it's helped me um tremendously uh learn about myself and it's helped me to um, put myself first. Uh, during the first bout, I still had my, my, my father was alive and uh, I didn't want him to be sad. Mm. So, um, you know, I would be bald and I would, you know, uh, come back from chemo. I would sleep mm. the next day. I would be up and I would go around to see him and we'd talk and we'd drink coffee. Yeah. And so... Um, I didn't treat, uh, I wasn't very kind to myself. Uh, maybe I was a little bit too pragmatic and I was like, mm -hmm. no, this isn't going to change me. And uh, I, I continued in the way that I am. Uh, I am, I'm someone that I, uh, I tend to care too much about too many things. I tend to um, always give thanks for every minuscule thing that I have. And I always want to make sure that everyone and anyone around me um, has access to my time if they need, if they need help, if they need um, anything. I mean, I, it, this was in my DNA and I, I always felt like I, I had to be like this. And this comes down to my, probably my um, sense of um, worthlessness. I mean, uh, I always felt like you you have to be a good person and you know you this is this is how life is um and during the first bout I don't think I changed uh mm. I was the same and um I should have learned I didn't uh and then the second bout uh happened and then uh again I was like I washed it off I thought well mm. you know it's come back um so the first bout was in 2019 it was in 2019 uh and then in, in 2020 um I, I luckily i i'd finished the um the treatment hmm. went back to istanbul um waited five weeks and then i had the major surgery i had a double mastectomy mm -hmm. 
and then um, I waited for that to heal. Then I came back, and that was just before the the COVID outbreak. So that was really, really lucky. Um, so, and then I was really busy trying to navigate Dad, who was a very stubborn eighty five year old, <laughs> and uh, you know, I I didn't want him to die. I I wanted to look after him and make sure that he um he abided by the rules, but he didn't. Yeah. So uh, that was the, the the first bout, and the second bout, I think that happened um, approximately eighteen months afterwards. Um, and again, it was diligence. I was doing my blood tests regularly, mm. uh, still not putting myself uh, as a priority, but, you know, getting on with things, trying to make up for lost time with my with my daughter and my family. Yeah. And then um, again, when the, the markers shot up uh, with my oncologist, uh, we had another PET scan and then it showed up that, in fact, yes, I had some positively charged lymph nodes. So um, this time I, I was operated in um, in the Republic of Cyprus. Mm -hmm. uh, they removed the uh, the positive lymphs. And um, after that, again, I had some chemotherapy. And then after that, it was followed by some radiotherapy, which was more challenging. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I still hadn't learned my lesson. Why do you say that? Because... Um, it, it was something mental. It was that I'm resilient. I've uh, I've overcome it. I'm going to continue like this. Oh, and uh, as humans, um, we're not very well balanced. We don't know that we should be gentle with ourselves. Mm. We don't remember uh, if if we are not that way inclined. We often um, forget to be kind to ourselves and to to put ourselves first. And we um, we shouldn't compensate for for the um for the things that are missing mm. uh, in our lives we we shouldn't um we shouldn't be the first one to jump up if anything's going wrong and um basically that's how i that's how i was and i was still continuing in that in that manner mm. um it was only the third time that um again my markers went up um and I had actually had a very, um, it was a really traumatic uh, episode in our lives in uh, October 2022. Um, in June, I'd lost my father. Um, yeah, that. That, that was hard. Mm. And uh, three and a half months later, um, received a phone call that my 24-year-old nephew had died in a really tragic accident. And um, that was really hard. I mean, that um, that was that was a very hard pill for me to swallow. Mm. And interestingly, during those times, I was actually on oral ke oral chemo mm -hmm. therapy. So it's I'm sure you know you have these awful tablets. So I was taking three in the morning, three at night. Um, they're supposed to be for protection, the, the, the chemotherapy. Um, they were awful, but I, I continued with them and they made me feel really sick, but I, I didn't really pay much attention. But the, the episode with my nephew, that that did something really bad to me. And uh, after spending several weeks in London trying to console my brother, my, my sister-in-law, mm. I came back and um, my blood tests started, you know, not being very good. And then I mm. saw my, my tumor markers elevate 
And I thought, oh God, it's it's going to happen again. And that's when I realized that it's time for me to um to change. And um, that's when I changed. And I, I mean, we went to the oncologist and uh, my daughter had graduated from school and uh, she'd been offered a place at Princeton. Wow. Uh, yeah. And I was over the moon and my husband was parking the car and I, I walked into my oncologist's office and I said, look, you know, once, twice, this is the third time. I said, am I going to be able to see my daughter like go to school? I, I want to bring her to school. And he looked at me and, and he smiled and he said, you will. He said, we're going to always make sure we have ammunition. Um, but what he didn't say and what I read in his eyes were, but you need to, you need to really think about what you're doing. That's, mm -hmm. that's what I sensed. And since then, uh, since that last bout of chemo, um, I've, um, I've changed. I can honestly say now I'm I'm more grown. Um, I'm kinder to myself. Uh, I know when to stop, and I'm not taking it for granted that I'm strong. So this this cancer thing actually uh, it it helps us um, become stronger and better versions of ourselves if we're lucky enough. Um, and becoming a better and stronger version of yourself is is wonderful. Yeah, um, I think. I think there is a lot to be said, uh, Emmy, for the whole concept of self-care and yeah. self-love. More and more people are, are talking about that. Um, you know, I think it's incredibly powerful uh, what you're sharing with, with listeners or viewers. Um, and I'm sure it's going to, you know, this is a whole idea or part of the idea of why we're having this conversation. So you know, people can, in my opinion, draw inspiration from what you've been through, what you're going through, how you're coping, mm. um, and the incredibly uplifting way that, that you're communicating your your journey. Um, it really is special. Um, I really appreciate you uh, sharing that with us. Um, I mean, what um, did, did you have to make any specific lifestyle or dietary changes because i know oncologists dietary changes yes yeah what what sort of like change, um, dietary changes did you have to make and how did they impact on your health and well-being um personally i got this urge to eat lots of raw like green things okay yeah so that was like really interesting um i wanted to eat lots of salad um i drink I just felt thirsty all the time. So I would drink much more water. Um, one of the things that for me was the most unpleasant is, you know, um, chemotherapy actually affects your, your blood cells, your, your blood levels go down, your mm. white blood cells go down. Yes. Um, and, you know, to, to try and combat that, you can't, you know, go and have a, um, a, a blood transfusion each time. So um, I don't like liver very much. But, um, you know, I, I resorted to eating liver um, quite a few times um, in August and it helped. So oh, yeah. dietary uh, changes, uh, you know, if you eat healthy uh, and eat balanced and, mm. and do your exercises, um, it really does. Um, it does affect your your blood levels. And when you see that, it's, 
you know, you think, well, okay, that the, there's something in there. So exercise, mm -hmm. uh, being able to move, um, even when you you have lots of aches and pains, yeah, uh, it's really important to um to to be um active, um, and also to to believe uh, a little bit in 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 what you're 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 doing. So if you if you're having your chemo and you're given um, anti nausea, mm. or if you're to told to take some kind of a um a steroid, uh, you know a lot of I find a lot of Cypriots don't believe. Um, you know, they they take one or two and then they they leave. Mm. I have an uncle who's like that. But I I followed rigorously what I was told to do. I gargled with the special mouthwash. So if you follow the rules and the guidelines, um, they really do help. So um, that that taught me a bit of discipline. Was you was you told to avoid dairy? Uh... No, I wasn't. Okay. But I don't eat a lot of dairy anyway. Um, there are specific no-nos when you're when you're having um, chemotherapy, but uh, after the chemo, um, I mean, you're told to avoid sugar, right. which we all know sugar is is something. Um, it's pretty lethal. Mm. Uh, processed foods. I mean, um, I like a, a sausage, a bacon breakfast, so I avoid those. Um, I resort now to eating the local Cypriot um, cuisine. So I have lots of burduja, the black-eyed beans, okay, yeah, yeah. things like this. Uh, always, always eating things from the season. Yes, uh, that's really important. And trying to, um, uh, you know, there's so much um, like pesticides and and lots of stuff around. So I I try and be really careful with all the the um, the fresh produce. I I wash it with the soap. I rinse it. I um, it's I'm, I mean I'm trying to um, to make sure that I eat healthy like that as well. Mm. Um, I like a bit of wine, uh, so I have my you know little glass of wine in the evenings. It helps me relax. What's your preference, red or white? Red. I don't drink white, just red. <laughs> good, good. Okay. I mean, that, that's that's interesting. I think people who are going through sort of cancer treatment will be able to relate to to, to that kind of life, those lifestyle changes. Um, you've kind of touched on some of the kind of motivational aspects and, you know, how, how your coping mechanisms, but what has been your motivation and how do you keep that positive mental attitude which is so important i'm not sure if it's because of what i lived with mum um because i uh i was a full-time nurse for her yeah and i suffered i mean it, it was it was very sad for me to see her going through that process and i have a feeling uh experiencing that uh kind of told me that there is no way I want my own daughter and my husband to feel the way I did. Um, and I think that was a very conscious decision to um, make sure I continue to, to be the mum that my daughter knows. She's, you know, she's wise and she's mm. intelligent enough to understand uh, that mum's not well, that she's, you know, got cancer. And again, with my husband, I mean, I insisted that he um, he still go for his work, his business trips abroad. Um, and that kind of resilience uh, kept augmenting itself. It, it, it became stronger each time because then, 
you know, um, the whole sea thing isn't the center of our life. Yes. It's something that is, it's a part of our lives. And yes, it's very unpleasant. It physically affects me, but that's where I draw the line. I, I did not want my husband or more importantly, my daughter mm. to, um, to feel the the agony of that. And I, I believe that we've raised a pragmatic, young, intelligent woman. Um, and uh, I wanted to to make sure that uh, she saw mom as a fighter, mm. not as a, a warrior, but, you know, that I had everything under control. And this helped me a lot. So my primary motivation was uh, trying to make life continue as normal for the two people that I really cared about, my husband and my and my daughter. And it worked. I think you certainly are an amazing example to to your daughter um and you know a, an amazing wife to to your husband i mean just how it, it's so important to tell people you know i often get accused of being a soppy git um you know but it you know i've started saying to my parents how much i love them you know uh, even to my sisters who i haven't always got on with <laughs> yeah um, and the people who are close to you generally, just yeah. letting them know that you love them because you never know when that opportunity will be uh, taken away from you. So yeah. um, if I'm hoping that people watching and listening will have quite a few takeaways from this episode, um, you know, but that's I think that's a, a really key message that we we need to, to get out there. Uh, I totally agree with you. And and one of the things that I learned that I'm trying to share with um, a lot of people that we know who are in the same sort of 45, uh, 50 age bracket, and um, it's it's how we love and uh, our roles as mature people. We're not mature uh, old people. We're not mature young people, but we're we're at the age where, you know, we're mature and uh, it's really important that we um, don't lose sight of who our loved ones are, our parents are. Uh, we mustn't parent our parents. Uh, we have to love them for how they are. We're, we're responsible for loving them and, and, if needed, telling them what we think. But we cannot make them uh, do anything that they don't want to do. And, you know, as, as people get older, they get more stubborn <laughs> and, um, you know, it's what, what's our role. And especially during the last bout, that was really important for me. I thought, well, you know, I can't, um, I can't be, I shouldn't be a parent because, um, I tried being a parent to dad and mm. I failed miserably. Mm. And I thought I want what's best for him. Um, I want what's best for me because I want him to be well, but I realized it's not about that. So that was one of the really important things that I learned uh, during the the, the, the the cancer era is yeah. you love people for, for who they are, uh, but you mustn't, um, your role has to be you. You have to be the person that you are. You cannot start parenting them. Yes. Or if you have sisters or brothers that are irresponsible, you can't suddenly become the, um, the responsible or the constantly, you know, telling them what to do, uh, older mm. sibling. You have to maintain that balance uh, because that balance is part of your inner equilibrium. So yeah. I, I learned that when dad passed because, uh, you know, he kept saying, I've lived a life that I wanted to live. 
I'm ready to go. Uh, he didn't want to become an old man. Uh, he had he was full of life. And as hard as it was for me, I had to respect that. Mm. So my biggest takeaway now is, um, you know, to telling people, uh, don't parent your parents. Love them, spoil them, mm. cherish your time with them, but uh, respect who they are, respect them for all the decisions that they make, even if they're wrong, because you cannot be responsible for... Uh, for their naughtiness yeah or their, I, or their I mean, stubbornness i find even when there's irrationality or illogical comments that you will hear there's normally underlying reasons for those comments there could be significant pain yeah. um you know significant trauma mental health uh issues um I agree. if people haven't you take those kind of um things away and it, the, the individual will be you know on a level and be able to communicate as they were so it's normally an influence as to why communication becomes strained um and it's something we we should all bear in mind because a lot of us will take on caring responsibilities as we grow older yeah um, you know um and you've already shared how difficult that was when when you were caring for your mother you know mm -hmm. So, okay. So what, um, this is a, a, hopefully not too tough a, a question, but given, you know, what you've been through, um, what three things would you tell a person who let's say just yesterday, uh, they've learned, uh, of their cancer diagnosis, what would be the three most important things that you would share with them in your view? Um, the first thing would be, um, get informed uh, ask questions to your to your carer to your oncologist um, become informed so you don't live in fear uh, if you're informed you'll have less fear uh, number two don't allow that to dictate um, how your uh, your daily life continues that's that's really important and three um just surround yourself with people that um, make you feel good. Not people who who pull you down or just, you know, people that make you smile. Mm. Three really important bits of advice, Emmy. Um, for people listening or watching and you're going through a similar sort of journey, um, you will be able to relate to Emmy's three bits of advice very, very strongly. Uh, Emmy, you've you've been an amazing guest uh, again. Um, you know, there's there's not much more I, I can add a, apart from just saying thank you. Um, you know, you, you you're an amazing character. Um, you know what what you've been through. I think you're you are an inspiration to to, to many people who know you. I can see that from how people communicate with you on online. Um, before we we get right to the the close of the episode i'm going to take the liberty of touching on some issues in relation to cyprus because me and you are both very passionate um in terms of cypriot politics um so it'd be just good to get get your take on one or two things i'm, I'm going to touch on one thing specifically which has been making some headlines and the united nations have been putting out quite regular communications around the uh, what's been referred to as the humanitarian road 
Um, and it's been pointed out that there has been some inconsistencies by the UN because a number of um, in, infrastructure projects have been have, have taken place in the buffer zone, I think. Um, and now there seems to be a huge amount of resistance by the, the UN, um, which has ended in some quite unsavoury sort of scenes. I, I don't know mm -hmm. what your take um, is on all of on what's been happening in Pile. And Pile, for people who are watching and listening, is a it's quite a unique village, if we can put it that way. It's got both Turkish Cypriots and Greek Cypriots um, living in it. And it's there's it's a, a crossing point from north to south and south to north. Uh, what What's your take on all the UN stuff going on at the moment? Um, there are two points. One, uh, I feel that I'm better um, informed about that I will comment on. Mm -hmm. uh, and the second, uh, I'm not very clear, but as you said, there are some inconsistencies with uh, the roads, what was promised to the Turkish Cypriots, mm. what has and what hasn't been done. That's kind of like a gray area. Yeah. And that actually, um, uh, until now, the previous um, Muftar or the mayor, sorry, the mayor of uh, Pila, the Turkish Cypriot mayor, mm -hmm. he maintained, um, I'm not sure of his name, but I know that he maintained really good relations with uh, United Nations, with the British uh, bases, with the um, Turkish Cypriots, with the army. So he was very balanced. Uh, they now have a new mayor who's um, apparently quite aggressive. Right. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm not very well informed about how he's handling his things, but uh, obviously it's leading to um, uh, it's it's leading to estranged um, relations. Mm. There's been uh, more confrontation, the, hasn't there? Yeah. Uh, now the the confrontational thing was for me that was quite um, interesting because I looked at the images, I looked at them over and over again, and I realized. Um, they reminded me of uh, the images of June 2018, when the famous Avrupa uh, newspaper, Africa, sorry, Africa newspaper, had made some comments, and then a group of people had stormed the Turkish Cypriot Parliament to um, protest against oh. um, this uh, newspaper, and some of them even went on the roof, and it was these angry sort of mob-like uh, grey wolf uh, fanatics. And I thought the images are the same. Uh, it was just a sort of, uh, because I, I've never known Turkish Cypriots to be so aggressive. Mm. Uh, I mean, it, it takes a lot for a Turkish Cypriot to get worked up. And, you know, <laughs> to, to drive a um, like a, a forklift uh, and to push a UN car out of the way, mm. I thought, no, that's, that's not something a Turkish Cypriot would do. Yeah. And I think I was right, because when I asked around, uh, it was really um, quite cleverly, uh, you know, coordinated. And those people who were actually um, doing the, uh, the the pushing around, they were an organized mob. So, um, I mean, that's something that, you know, we should be more interested in. That's something that um, as Turkish Cypriot media, mm. we're, they're, they're not very strong. They they don't tend to look at details. They don't tend to analyze. And this is one of the, the things that really annoys me. Uh, people are not informed because... Uh, you know the the papers aren't all that great, or the journal. There are only a few journalists who actually go on to report and and become diligent with things like this. Mm. So everything is hazy. 
Um, but it seems like this, there's a road that is being built or is being constructed at the moment. Um, but it would be interesting uh, to also understand what's going on in the vicinity of Pira. Um, have there been any um, building permits given uh, for the Turkish Cypriot side? Mm. Uh, and if so, um, who has given these permits? Are they doing another, um, is it going to be another sort of um, uh, a quick, oh, let's go in and construct buildings? I mean, it could be. And these are things that need to be looked at, uh, mm. not just Pillar, but also the, the surrounding areas. I yeah. mean, um, a lot of the mayors and the the local um, um, councils have been, you know, changed since the last elections. Yeah. And uh, it would not be incorrect to say that some of them are pro-Icare pair. Mm. And we all know that if they are pro-Icare pair, uh, we know that construction and, um, you know, that's very a very favorable way of them to, mm. to uh, maintain a, a hold on certain areas. So it would be interesting, actually, to, to follow up that and, and see what's happening. Yeah. So, um, well, we'll keep an eye on that. I think from where I'm standing, I just want to see um, a resolution. Um, it's so sad seeing an island split in two. Yeah. But both sides have to reach an agreement and they they seem um unwilling or unable to do that so you know that's it's just incredibly frustrating it uh, is there's there's no transparency uh regarding the um the agenda and it's all very men in suits yep um with um you know uh, clauses uh, I, I really believe that with more civilian input, mm. um, which is, is necessary, I think um, the civilian input could actually uh, not dictate, but it could open up uh, new corridors of um, of debate, of uh, understanding. But um, I'm I'm not very hopeful. I think um, there are um, bigger bigger things at play, mm. and. Uh, you know the, the the construction on both sides and um the amount of um foreign currency foreign money coming in yes. uh, on both sides it 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 basically um begets a bigger question yeah and uh, not it's not my helpful. duty to, to yeah <laughs> no that's that's fair comment uh, emmy okay we we've come to the end of episode 64 um emmy have you got any final thoughts if we go back to the the subject that we were were discussing if someone you know is has just been has just received that news that they've got um cancer confirmed by by an oncologist um what's your final message to, to my that final my, my final message is please um don't allow fear to cloud your view or your judgment uh remain informed reach out ask questions um and uh it's it's not it's not a pornographic word as it used to be please don't fear it and i'm on twitter so if anyone wants to reach out and and ask anything or or suggest something or or share something i'm i'm happy to do so but my my biggest message would be please don't don't fear it wonderful emmy and just uh, on twitter your you can emanations i think that's a, a brilliant twitter handle emanations um if you want to connect with uh emmy that's how to to follow her 
Bandofla is also on Twitter, underscore Bandofla. Um, you've been watching or listening to Bandofla. This is episode 64. Do take care. God bless you all. Take care. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm.